Let's go to God's Word this morning. I want to go to the book of, back to the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Uh, last week we started looking at what some scholars call one of the greatest chapters in all of scriptures, if not the greatest chapter in all of scripture. And so this morning we're going to cover verses 2 through 4. And we reviewed last week the foundation that the Apostle Paul laid when he began chapter 8 verse 1 with the word therefore. And we said when you see the word therefore you need to know why it's therefore. And so Paul begins going all the way back to chapter 1 of Romans with the good news. And that is simply this, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That would, that's what Paul would say in 1, Thessalonians, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That is the good news, that Christ died for our sins. Also got to tell you the bad news. Sure. And then he says, I've got to not only give you the good news, but also got to tell you the bad news. So you'll understand what the, how good the good news really is. And so in chapters 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul lays the foundation that we all are guilty before God. Whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, if you're part of this world, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, if we're all guilty, then how can we be saved? Well, in chapter 4, Paul is going to talk about how that Abraham was declared righteous by God in Genesis chapter 15 by simply believing in God. And as a matter of fact, Paul writes in Galatians that this happened 430 years before the law ever came. That Abraham was justified, declared righteous by God before the law ever came. And so from using this example of Abraham, he says in verse one of chapter five, therefore, having been justified by faith, not by our works, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace or undeserved privilege in which we stand. I told you last Sunday morning I was up here standing in grace. Well, guess what? September 4th, 2022. 9.08 a.m., I'm standing in God's grace. And so he says in the last part of chapter 5, where, where sin abounds, grace is much more abound. And, of course, humans are known to take things from one extreme to another extreme. And so he deals with those two groups in Romans chapter 6. What is our relationship to sin now that we've been saved by grace through faith? Because he realized that some's going to say, what? Shall we continue in sin that God's grace may abound? And he would say, God forbid. How is it possible? And he tells us how that we live compared to sin. He said, first of all, you got to know that you have died to sin. You've died to the power of sin. Then he says this in chapter 6. Then you've got to reckon on that fact. In other words, it's like endorsing a check. In other words, if you believe that somebody has, has given you a check for $2,000, if you believe it's going to be good, you'll endorse that and go put it in the bank. And so when we reckon on that fact, it is accepting what God's Word says, that when you are saved, you are dead to the power of sin. And then he says not only that, then he says you've got to live it out. You've got to yield your body, your, your, your members of your body. As instruments of righteousness, not unrighteous. That's our eyes, our hands, our ears, 
our mouth, our minds, where we go, what we do. All of that needs to be yielded unto God. Then in chapter 7, he talks about our relationship to the law. And he tells us a few things. He says in verse 14, you got to realize the law cannot change you. Also, the law cannot enable you to do good. Let me kind of put it like this on point two. If the government passed a law, and we know they have at times, that said the speed limit is 55, but there were no police, how many of you would do 55? Not many, right? Because even the law says this is the speed limit, you, would, you wouldn't have no desire to do that. But if there's a speed limit sign that says 55, and there's a police officer there underneath that speed limit sign, and he's shooting a radar at you, how many is going to do 53? Right? Well, the police officer in this illustration is not the Holy Spirit of God. He's there to regulate what we do. And so he says the law can't enable you to do good. You can't do it on your own. He says also the law can't set you free. That's what he said in verse 25. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this law of sin and death? And so in chapter 8, what we're looking at, started last week and what we're going to look at for the next few weeks, is what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be in Christ. Because we use this term Christian so loosely nowadays. Right? We've heard statistics that say over 70% of the people in this country claim to be Christians. Well, I got news for you. Over 70% of people in this country are not Christians. Because if they were Christians, this country wouldn't be in the shape it is. And they're just simply Christians in name only what we would call nominal Christians. And so what he is going to tell us in these verses of chapter 8 of what it means and what Paul uses is the term in Christ. What does it mean when we are truly in Christ? And first thing it means is there is now therefore no condemnation. That's our position because we are in Christ. And let me say this, all of us here this morning, you are in one or two categories. One of two categories. You are either in Adam and you are lost, or you are either in Christ and are saved. There's no straddling the fence on this. You can't say I'm almost pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not. You're either a child of God or you are not a child of God. And so if you are in Adam, if you are lost this morning, you are an enemy of God, you are guilty, and there's coming a day when you will be judged guilty for your sins. Now if you're in Christ, Paul says, there is now, therefore, no condemnation. That's good news. How do we know this? Well, Jesus was said like this in John 5 and 24. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me, listen, has eternal life 
and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Now, you either believe that or you don't. Now, you may say, well, how can this be? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning, verses 2 through 4. Because I want to look at this morning, and Paul's going to talk about our liberation. Then he's going to talk about, he's going to give us an explanation of it. Then he's going to give us what we would call the exaltation because of what the explanation says. And then he's going to give us the, what I would call the culmination of everything. Now, let's look at first and foremost, chapter, chapter 8, verse 2, the, what I would call the liberation here. He says, for or because <clears throat> the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, the NASB in this translation, I like how they put it because in the NASB, they do not capitalize the word law in, sin, in, in verse number 2, but they will in verse number 3. And the reason why is because they're trying to help you understand there's a distinction between law in verse 2 and law in verse 3, okay? I, I know exactly what Peter said when he said in, I think it's 2 Peter 3, 16, that some things Paul writes are hard to understand. Right? And if Peter, who heard Jesus' words, would say, hey, you know what? Some of this stuff's kind of hard to understand. It's, sometimes it's hard for us to understand exactly. That's the reason why you got to keep digging. And so, notice here, he says there are two working principles. So the law here is not the law of God, but what he is talking about is there's a principle of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, and there's also this principle of the law of sin and death. Now, let's take these things in reverse order. Let's talk about first and foremost, the law or the principle of sin and death. Paul uses this same Greek word in chapter 7, talking about the principle of sin and death. Look at chapter 7, verse 23. Here's what he says. He says, for I find then the principle, that's the same word he uses in verse 2 for law, okay? He says, I find this principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Then he says, in verse, go back to verse 18, look what he says, same thing here. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. And he's not talking about your body, he's talking about your sinful nature, the fallen nature. He says, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. Paul would say in Galatians 5, 17, for the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are in opposition, they're in constant opposition of one another so that you may not do the things you please. In other words, so what is the principle here of sin and death? The principle is this, that there, as a child of God, there's always something in you trying to keep you from doing what you know to do. You may say, when will we ever get out of Romans 7 when you get to heaven? He said in Galatians 5, 16, these are in constant opposition to one another. There's a battle that's going on there. 
This week, you face that battle. Whether or not you were going to do what you're supposed to do, or whether or not you were going to do something which you were not supposed to do. You face the battle every day. You get up in the morning. There's this law, this principle of sin and death that's waging war against our soul. It's trying to drag you down. It's trying to pull you away from Christ Jesus. That's the law of sin and death. That's the principle of it. But he says there's also this other principle which he calls the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Now, what does this mean? What it means is this, is when you are saved, you are born again of the Holy Spirit. Look at Galatians chapter 4 verse 6. He says this, because you are sons, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. Paul would tell the church at Corinth, what, do you not know your body is the Holy Spirit who is in you and you're not your own? So the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus is this, is that God gives me the spirit to supersede the law of sin and death. Let me kind of put it in a way maybe some of you others can understand this. Now, we know there's a thing called the law of gravity, right? The law of gravity says that if I drop this, gravity is going to pull that down. Okay? That's the law of gravity. But there's also something known as the law of aerodynamics. You may say, what is that? If you've ever flown in a plane, those big old 747s, I don't even know how much they weigh. Hundreds of thousands of pounds. Well, if this right here that doesn't even weigh a pound can't stay up in the air, how can a 747 stay in the air and take you from here to California? It's because the law of aerodynamics supersedes the law of gravity. If a plane has so much speed, so much lag, so much, I don't even know what it is, okay? That's way beyond my pay scale. But I do know this, and I listen, I've been on those planes where it seemed like, man, they're not going fast enough. I don't know if they're going to get off the ground. But all of a sudden, at the end of that runway, because of the law of aerodynamics, Something happens in that plane that weighs hundreds of thousands of pounds, lifts off in the air, and it stays in the air until it gets to its destination. That's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. What I'm saying is this. While the law of sin and death is trying to pull you down, trying to keep you from doing good, 
There's a law that cancels that out. It's called the law of life in the spirit that brings you up and supersedes that law of sin and death. Now, do you always rely on it, on him? No, you don't. Do you always walk in the spirit? No, you don't. Are you supposed to? Yes, you are. But what you got to understand is this. Listen. The law of life in the spirit sets us free from the law of sin and death. Listen, 2 Peter, one of my favorite verses. I quote it. Till I, I know I've quoted it hundreds of times. But I'm quoting it because I want you to get this. 2 Peter says, His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He has given us everything we need to live a godly life. He hasn't held anything back. He hasn't said, listen, I, I'm going to do this for you and then Help yourself, Skippy. Try to see if you can do it. No, he says, I'm going to change you. Then I'm going to give you the power that you need to live a godly life. Now, you either believe that or you don't. And you know how that comes through? It comes through, what does he say of him? Through the true knowledge of him who has called. See, what you don't know will hurt you. If, a, if the devil can keep a Christian ignorant, he can also keep him impotent. In other words, if you don't know who you are in Christ Jesus, if you don't know what you have in Christ Jesus, then you live below your means. Paul says to the church at Colossae, and in him, Jesus Christ, you have been made complete. You are fully furnished. You are amply supplied in Christ Jesus. Jesus would tell us in John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You need to know it. You need to reckon on that fact, consider it, and you need to live it out. So in Christ, what Paul says is the reason why there's no condemnation is because of our liberation in Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. Then he gives us an explanation in verse 3. He says, for what? Now, here's going to capitalize this because he's talking about the law of God here, law of Moses. For what the law could not do, weak it as it was through the flesh. Now, notice here, he's not saying the law was weak. The problem was not the law. The problem was us. It's us. We're the ones that's weak. See, because he tells us in Romans 7 and 7, I thought he says, listen, 
The law is holy. The law is holy. It's not sin. It's holy. He would say in verse 12, he would say the law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. He would say, the psalmist would say in Psalms 19 and 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandments of the Lord are pure. And so what he's saying there is the law can tell you what to do, but it can't justify you. The law is just, but it can't justify you. The law can reveal what sin is, but it just can't redeem us from sin. And that's what the Apostle Paul would tell the church in Galatia. He would say that no one is justified by the law. What were they trying to do? They were trying to say, yeah, Jesus is good, but you know what? You better be circumcised too. And what he's saying there is this, listen, if you think you can stay saved by keeping it perfect, he says you've fallen from grace. He would also tell them this, listen, you who began in the spirit, what makes you think you can now operate this in the flesh? He says in Romans 3.20, because in God's sight, no one will be justified by the works of the law. Because you've got to understand this. James has said it like this. Whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. In other words, if you kept... And back then they had 613, I think. If you kept 612 that day, but at 11, 11 p.m. you missed up that 613th one, you're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. Now listen, we, as I've said before, we like, to, we like to have our list of stuff, right? I don't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew, or hang with those who do. Yeah, but you're full of bitterness. You don't love your brother. And what makes you think because you didn't commit adultery this week that you've kept the whole thing? And so this is the issue here. He wants us to realize. The law didn't save you. Jesus Christ and what he done on the cross is what has saved you. And when you stand before God, if you say anything about I did something, you said the wrong thing. The only thing you can say when you stand before God is, he did it for me. It's the only thing you say. Now listen, don't, 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 don't misquote me, don't, don't, don't get ahead of me, okay? because you've got to understand this. Now here's the exhortation that he says. What we couldn't do, look at verse 3 here, he says this, God did. What you couldn't do, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now don't think for one moment that what he's saying there is Jesus came in sinful flesh. No, he said he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. In other words, he came as a human just like you and I are human. But although he was human... He faced every temptation. He faced 
every trial and he never sinned. He never sinned. In his sinless flesh, Jesus carried out every jot and tittle of the law. We couldn't do it, and so God said, I'm going to send the Son to do it for you. I'm going to send the Son to do it for you. And so he did it for me. He did it for everyone who places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Romans 5 and 8 says, while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the Bible says in verse 3 that he became an offering for sin. He became an offering for sin. Why do you have to become an offering for sin? Because not only is God grace and merciful, he's also a just God. He's also a holy God. In other words, every sin has to be dealt with. Every sin has to be dealt with. And so what happens? Jesus becomes my offering. Everyone who's in Christ, Jesus, he becomes their offering for sin. Do you realize in the Garden of Eden, when, uh, or excuse me, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he said, Lord, let this cup pass, what was in the cup? The cup was my sin, it was your sin. Isaiah said that God laid on him the iniquities of us all. When he was on the cross, God laid my sin on him. Now how do we know that the offering that Jesus Christ gave was sufficient. Because if you go back to Genesis, you had Cain and Abel, right? They both made offerings, but one was accepted and one was not accepted. How do we know that what Jesus did was sufficient, it was accepted? Well, Paul would say in Romans 4.25 that he was raised for our justification. In other words, if what he did on the cross wasn't sufficient, he would still be in that grave today. But because what he did was sufficient for you, because it was sufficient for me, he was raised on the third day. Remember what he said on the cross? He said, John 19, I think this is verse 30, he said, it is finished. It is finished. What does finished mean there? It's, I think it's the word uh, uh, teleos or something like that. And it, what it means is this. It is paid in full. The debt has been paid in full. It doesn't have to be re-offered. Listen, Jesus Christ, put Hebrews up there. I think it's Hebrews uh, chapter, if I can, let me find it. Hebrews chapter uh, 10, verse 14. The writer of Hebrews says it like this. For by one offering, he has perfected all, for all time those who are being sanctified. That one offering. Now, let's continue on Romans chapter 8, verse 4. He says, so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Notice that the purpose of Christ's death on the cross was to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law, what God demands. Notice it does not say we fulfill the law of righteous requirements, but it is fulfilled in us by the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me say it like this. We don't keep the law in order to be accepted. 
We do what God says because we are accepted. Understand that. I don't keep laws to make myself accepted because I can't. But because I'm accepted, I do what the Bible tells me to do. Does that make any sense? Let me give you an illustration. Old Testament. They were delivered out of Egypt. We know that's a type of shadow of salvation. Not because they kept the law. No. That was hundreds of years before. But when God gave them the law, not hundreds of years, but it was years before, but God gave them the law to say, okay, now that you're rescued, this is how, this is your responsibility. This is what you're supposed to do. You understand that? He's saying here that the requirements for our acceptance was met in Jesus Christ. That's the good news. I'm accepted based on what Jesus Christ has done for me. And he says this, so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. So in other words, listen, freedom in Christ because there's no condemnation, does that mean that we can live as we please? No, we have been set free to live as we should. And that comes to the culmination. I'm going to try to do, get this in five minutes. In five minutes, you come up and be playing. We're going to go to communion. Here's a culmination. He says, put that last part of verse 4. So the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And I'm going to say this. Our justification will result in transformation. You understand that? In other words, sanctification. This, those who walk, those who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit, this is a description of a true follower of Jesus Christ. I made this quote last week. I'll make it again. Philip says this, if a man is not being sanctified, transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, he has no reason to suppose he is truly justified. In other words, listen, if you're living a life of habitual sin, I don't care if you went and filled out a card one Sunday. I don't care if a preacher said, okay, everybody raise your hands, repeat this, and okay, we're done, you're done, go, do what you want to do. You are not saved. You're either in Christ or you're in Adam. See, salvation is not a license to go do what you want to do when you want to do it. We are saved and then we are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And that is the culmination because when he says here, those who walk according to Spirit, this walk here is a present tense. It's continue conducting yourself according to the Spirit. And so I would ask you this. 
If you claim to be saved this morning, has anything in your life changed? Has anything changed? Think about it. Do you have a new heart? What gives you the greatest sense of your joy? Do you get fulfillment in God's word and fulfillment in reading scriptures and gathering together with God's people? Do you get that? Or is it just because you were a good old boy or a good old girl and you think because your grandparents were charter members of the church, you're in? See, that's what scares me. It scares me to death that we got people here. I'm not talking about right here. I'm just talking about in our community. That their name is on the membership roll. And they are walking around thinking they're on their way to heaven. And there is no change in their life. And I'm here to tell you, and you're going to realize what Paul is saying here. He says, listen, being in Christ Jesus means a change in your life. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect, but I am saying this. You're going to be being sanctified because a Christian is not perfect. Absolutely not. But one thing about it is when a Christian sins, you know what happens? The Holy Spirit of God brings conviction on their life and they want to fall on their knees and say, Lord Jesus, I blew it. I sinned. Forgive me. But just because you've fallen doesn't mean that he's kicked you out of the house. But it does mean you've, you, 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 your fellowship with him is not where it needs to be. Why do you think he told that church in Revelation? He told the church there, behold, I am standing at the door and knocking. Why? Because they had let their love for him grow cold. And so what he's saying there is this. Listen, when you're in Christ Jesus... You have a lifestyle that says this, I am being guided by the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me show you this in 1 Peter 2, 24. He says this. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Why did he do that? So that we might die to sin, the power of sin. And so that we might live to, to, and live to righteousness, for by his wounds we are healed. So he died for me. Why? So I can live for him. So I can live for him. He would say this in 2 Corinthians 5 and 15 again. Paul says this, for he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again, on our behalf. Jesus Christ died. He saved you not so that you can go do what you want to do when you want to do it. That's not salvation at all. If any man's in Christ Jesus, there's a, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. See, I can't give you the assurance of your salvation. Only the Holy Spirit of God can do that. Only He can show you and he's going to talk about this, how the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are the sons of God. But you've got to look at it like this. It's not only an inward. It's also an outward. You've got to look at it from the outside. You've got to understand, in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation 
Why? Because we've been liberated. Why do why we've been liberated? So we can go do what we want to do? No, it's anarchy. You've been liberated so you can live for Him and do what He says and follow His commands. Listen, the commands were not given to restrict us. They were given to give us liberty. See, someone that would say, you know what, I'm saved, that means I can go do drugs. Is drugs really freedom? No, it leads to bondage. Oh, I'm free. I can go watch what I want to watch. Is that really freedom? No, it leads to bondage. Jesus Christ set us free so that we can live for Him. And how do we know what to do? Do I just trust my own senses? No, I don't. I get this right here out. And this is my responsibility now that I'm saved. I'm responsible to love one another. I'm responsible to not commit adultery. I'm responsible to not commit fornication. My responsibility is to not forsake the assembling of myself together as some is the manner of. That's my responsibility that God has given me. Do you understand? In Christ, no condemnation. Because Jesus Christ has paid it all. All to Jesus I owe. I owe everything to Him. I couldn't do it. I still can't do it. I can't do it. I, I'm not talking about, I'm not, I, I, I mean, I'm talking about 100%. I can't do it. But thanks be unto God, I'm accepted based on what Jesus Christ has done. And now by the Holy Spirit of God living inside of me, I'm becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And you know what? He's still working on me. And if you'll be honest with yourself, the Holy Spirit, not only will He comfort you, but He also confronts you. That's what it means to be in Christ. Don't mean you're perfect, but it means you're pressing toward the mark. And let me say this in conclusion before we get into our communion. You may say, well, this is impossible. Absolutely, in the flesh, it's impossible. But let me give you some good news. Philippians 2.12, I believe it is, maybe 13. Paul says this, It is God who is working in you giving you both the will and to work for His good pleasure. Like that law of aerodynamics. You can't fly the plane by yourself. But thanks be unto God because the law of the Spirit of Christ Jesus inside of me. I've been set free from the power of sin. Amen. It no longer has a grip on me. I'm free in Jesus Christ. I'm free to say no to that. I'm free to resist that temptation. And if we do sin, what does he say? He says, if you sin, confess your sins. And he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness.